Welcome to First Presbyterian Church in North Palm Beach, Florida. We exist to help people pursue and share gospel-driven lives. We hope whether you're investigating faith, a seasoned follower of Jesus, and anywhere in between, this podcast helps you connect with Jesus. We are during this season of the year where the Christian community celebrates and reflects on Jesus' resurrection. We're doing a series called Everyday Easter, where we're listening to snapshots from the life of the early Christian church in the book of Acts as we think about how the good news of Jesus' resurrection changes our lives and changes our world. Today is the day that around the world, the Christian community celebrates and remembers Jesus' ascension into heaven. So we're going to be listening to the story of his ascension that begins the book of Acts today. So today's scripture reading will be from Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. I'll pray for us, and then we'll listen to the text together. So pray with me if you would. On this day, Lord, you have acted through Christ. Let us rejoice and celebrate in it. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Friends, listen, if you would, to the word of God from Acts 1. In the first book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus did and taught from the beginning until the day that he was taken up to heaven. After having given instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles, whom he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While staying with them, he warned them not to leave the city of Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Father. This, he said, is what you have heard from me, For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So, when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? He replied, it is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. When he had said this, as they were watching him, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, and they were gazing up towards heaven, Suddenly, two men in white robes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? This Jesus, who was taken from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As the Italian film, La Dolce Vita, opens, Jesus is flying. Now, not Jesus exactly, but a statue of Jesus is flying. 
That Italian movie that was created a few decades ago and has since made its way around the world begins with a sequence in which there is a helicopter that is flying slowly and not too far off of the ground across the Italian countryside outside the city of Rome. And it's transporting a life-sized marble statue of Jesus robed and with outstretched arms. The statue is being carried on ropes below the helicopter, and whenever in the camera shot the helicopter is just out of frame, it actually does sort of look like Jesus is flying through the air. In the beginning of the movie, it flies over a field where there are some farmers working, and as they spot this statue, men, they hop out of the tractors that they were on, and they wave their hats, and they begin to yell, and then one of them recognizes and yells in Italian, there's Jesus, and then they, they start running after this statue of Jesus. Then the helicopter continues on through the outskirts of Rome, and as it does, it passes a large apartment building where there's a rooftop pool where there are some swimsuit-clad young women who are sunbathing, and then the helicopter turns around, and the Italian men who are piloting it, with the statue of Jesus hanging in the air by the building, they, over the roar of their own engines, try to ask for these girls' phone numbers. They assure them that they're on an important errand taking this statue to the Vatican Museum, but that they're more than willing to come back after they've completed their job. Now it's, a, it's a funny and odd moment. Here's this statue of Jesus standing still and lifelike by this apartment building while these Italian men are trying to gain some phone numbers for their own romantic, you know, romantic good. But afterwards, there's this shot as the statue moves away and as the dome of St. Peter's Basilica and the Vatican Museum comes into focus, where the camera settles on the statue itself as its arms are outstretched over the city. I think about that moment in film as I think about the Ascension story, because I think if you're like me, even if you're somebody for whom this is a pretty familiar story, it's easy to wonder if there's really anything more going on in Jesus' ascension than simply him flying away into the sky. The text that we heard this morning is the beginning of the book of Acts, which we've been listening to over the last number of weeks. And Luke begins with a sort of season one recap before he starts the new material. And he says, you know, in the prior book, which we now call the Gospel of Luke, I told you, as to the person he writes to, Theophilus, about everything that Jesus did from the beginning of his life through the moment in which he was taken up to heaven. And then he goes on to tell the story of the ascension. Now, there are three events in the life of our Lord that gain a lot of public attention. Jesus' birth, that we celebrate at Christmas, Jesus' death on a cross, and then Jesus' resurrection, which we celebrate at Easter. But the ascension, not so much. Nobody throws parties or does family get-togethers or wears weird sweaters or drinks far too much eggnog or champagne because of Jesus' ascension. But I think that that's actually kind of a shame. Because in a way, Jesus' ascension is like the spark plug that combusts 
all that Jesus does and is living and dying and rising and unleashes it into the cosmos and into our lives with healing and love and power. This is the point that John Calvin, who's a 16th century Christian teacher, makes as he talks about the ascension. He says, as Christ's body was raised up above all the heavens, so his power and energy were diffused and spread beyond all the bounds of heaven and earth. In the New Testament itself, the ascension is mentioned actually over 35 times and scores more times indirectly. Oftentimes, even if you're somebody who's familiar with this story, and especially if you're somebody who isn't, we assume that this story just means that Jesus is taking off, that he's leaving, that he's taking the divine elevator to the top floor, that he's soaring into the skies while Elton John's rocket man plays quietly in the background or something like that. I remember coming across a book by a, an author named Keith Ward a bit ago called The Big Questions in Science and Religion, in which he pokes fun at the ascension. He says, we now know that if Jesus began ascending 2,000 years ago, he would not yet have left the Milky Way unless he had attained warp speed, which we think unlikely. But this actually doesn't, this actually doesn't understand what the ascension is really about. You see, the ascension is the consummation of all that Jesus came to do. Here's how Paul in the book of Ephesians talks about the significance of Jesus' ascension. In Ephesians 1, he says that God put his power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. In other words, the point of Jesus' ascension is not simply that Jesus has left earth for outer space or something like that. The point of Jesus' ascension is that now the crucified Lord, now the one who died forgiving his enemies, now the one who bears the scars of undoing our own sin and death. Now the one who broke the power of the grave in his resurrection. Now, now that one is seated on the throne of the universe. Oftentimes for us as modern Western people, our problem is, is the caricatures that we carry about about heaven and earth. We think about them as, as two different places and heaven being someplace in, in like deep space somewhere, somewhere in a galaxy far, far away to pilot a line from, from the Star Wars franchise. But that's actually not how the biblical writers think about heaven and earth. For, for the biblical writers, heaven is God's dimension of our reality. I want you to listen to how N.T. Wright, who's a leading New Testament scholar, talks about this dynamic. Here's what he says. He says, the early Christians, like their Jewish contemporaries, saw heaven and earth as the overlapping and interlocking spheres of God's good creation, with the point being that heaven is the control room from which earth is run. To say that Jesus is now in heaven is to say three things. First, that he is present with his people everywhere, 
no longer confined to one space-time location within earth, but certainly not absent. Second, that he is now the managing director of this strange show called Earth. Though like many incoming chief executives, he has quite a lot to do to sort it out and turn it around. Third, that he will one day bring heaven and earth together as one, becoming therefore personally present to us once more within God's new creation. The Bible doesn't say much about our going to heaven. It says a lot about heaven and particularly heaven's chief inhabitant coming back to earth. I like how he puts that. Heaven and earth are the, they're the overlapping and interlocking spheres of God's reality. When we say that Jesus has ascended into heaven, what we are saying is that Jesus has now taken his seat in the CEO's office of the universe. Now, after a week like the one that we just had, especially for those of us perhaps who, are, who wouldn't call ourselves followers of Jesus or, or are exploring Christian faith and, and even being honest for those of us who are longtime followers of Jesus. It's easy as, we, as we've watched the horrific events that have unfolded in Texas this past week amid all the other ongoing tragedies in the world to, to look at the news and say, well, listen, it doesn't, it doesn't look like Jesus is doing such a great job running the show around here. And so, if that's your internal reaction as you sit here this morning, here's what I want to help you see. The early Christians knew just as well as we do and just as painfully that the world is a dark, violent, and brutal place. They knew that as well or better than we do. When they announced the good news that the crucified Jesus of Nazareth was risen from the dead and now ascended into the heavens, what they were announcing was that unheard of forgiveness and healing is now available to the whole world and that selfishness and violence and brutality and darkness, even when it seems like it, will not have the last word in the world. So amid all the, all the implications that the good news of Jesus' ascension has for our lives and the world, I want to close by simply helping you notice two from the story that we listened to together this morning. First, I want to help you see from these words from Luke that we heard together that ascension means access for you and I. When Luke tells us that Jesus is ascended into the heavens, he's telling us that Jesus has brought heaven and earth together once and for all. The Jesus, thanks to his living and dying and rising, has now brought us to God and has now brought God to us. And what's more, that Jesus has taken the stuff of human life into the very heart of God. This is why Jesus promises his followers that they would then suspire or live with God's own spirit, God's own self living in them. So Jesus means, as he says, that his followers would soon be baptized with God's spirit because of his ascension. 
That now, because Jesus sits on the throne of the universe, you and I, we can actually have God's own living self in the stuff of our lives. What this means is that no matter who you are or what your story has been, if your life is marked by Jesus' grace, you have access to commune with God. You are welcome in the throne room of the universe because of Jesus. No matter who, you've done, who you are, what you've done, all the thousand ways you feel like you've screwed your life up, you, because of Jesus, actually have access to God. You don't need to wonder if you're welcome in God's presence. You can, as it were, go right in. You relate to God not as, not as some far-off idea, not as a tyrant in the sky, not as, some, not as some subservient, but as a beloved son or daughter. Think about the way that a, that a son or a daughter and a healthy family knows that they have access to their parents. When I'm going to get together with one of our staff members or with, with one of you who are a part of our community, we usually email ahead of time, figure out a time and a place that works, works for both of us. We connect here in our offices or at some other place around, around town and such. My kids, on the other hand, when they want my attention, they don't do any of that. They don't email me ahead of time to see when a good time to talk would be. They know that they can just come and get my attention whenever that they want. They can come right in whenever they want to. The other night, my daughter had a bad dream in the middle of the night, and so she burst into our room at three in the morning wanting to talk to my wife and I, and she knew that she was welcome in there. She knew that she could go right in and talk to dad and mom whenever there was something that she needed because she was our daughter. If Jay Arn bursts into my room at three o'clock in the morning, you know, I love Jay, but I'm probably calling the cops. <laughs> well, my daughter doesn't need to wonder that. She knows that she can go right in. And so can you, if you belong to Jesus. Uh, the ascension means you have access to God. Uh, secondly, the ascension is also good news of, of new authority for us in the world. In the first century, when someone would be enthroned as king in the days before mass communication and the internet and such, their authority would begin to take effect as they would send out heralds who would go off throughout the territory that they ruled and announce in its furthest edges that there was a new king now in place. And so for the Roman Empire, for the world from which, from which the book of Acts comes to us from, that would happen as heralds would be sent from, from, the, from the capital and the city of Rome to Spain or to Britain to the north or to Egypt and the southeast that would announce the good news that we have a new king. And this is just what Jesus is charging his followers then and us here and now to do. He says, you're going to be my witnesses. You are going to announce that the world is now under new management. That it now exists under the loving authority of the crucified and risen Jesus to the ends of the earth. Now this, begins, this becomes the roadmap of the book of Acts. If you, if you go home and you read through the book of Acts this afternoon, you'll see that the remainder of the story of the church in Acts follows followers of Jesus as they announce the good news of Jesus in Jerusalem and then out from there in Judea and Samaria and then out from there to eventually to the city of Rome, to the other end of the world. And we're a part of that story as well too. 
Here we are, two millennia later, on another continent, on the other side of the planet, that was unknown at the time, speaking a language that did not yet then exist, celebrating King Jesus here and now. So for us, this means we as a community, we have the vocation too, to announce the good news of Jesus right around our communities in our Jerusalem, so to speak, around Palm Beach, and then, and then wider from there around the communities that are nearby us but not like us culturally, and then to the ends of the world. That's the story that we continue to live in. And our vocation as followers of Jesus in our own lives and then in our life together as a community is to live lives together that demonstrate that we are now under new management. That the authority that our lives live under are not the authorities of greed, selfishness, violence, or death. But the authority of the loving Lord of the universe. This is why followers of Jesus care about healing sick bodies and sick minds. This is why, as a community, we invest in serving underprivileged kids with partners like Urban Youth Impact and why, why we share meals through our partners at St. George's Kitchen with people that are homeless and food insecure because we believe that the crucified Jesus is the Lord of the universe and that our world is now under new management. And we want to demonstrate that by the way that we love and serve the people that are around us. I'll never forget the experience that I had working in the very first part-time job that I ever, that I ever had. I, when I turned 15, which was the legal age to work somewhere at the time in Pennsylvania, I'd, I applied for and got a part-time job making minimum wage, making pizza pizzas at the Little Caesars that was in my little neighborhood in my town in Pennsylvania. And the woman whom I worked for, for the first couple of months that I worked at Little Caesars, was an absolute tyrant. I went to work afraid of her every single day. She would, she would smoke in the back of the Little Caesars, both cigarettes and other various herbal essences, and... Sometimes the ash from them would drip down into the pizzas that we were giving people. And then when someone would call and complain about it, she would just blame it on me or one of the other lowly part-timers that worked for her. She would blast on a, on a big stereo in the back of the building. She would blast Pantera and Megadeth and Garth Brooks. Only those three artists and no other music whatsoever. So you can imagine my joy when after several, after several months of working for this woman... Biking to my neighborhood Little Caesars one day for my looming shift and seeing a sign on the front door by which apparently I realized the Little Caesars brass had gotten wind of this woman's despotic rule and removed her and replaced her with someone else because there on the front door was a sign that said in big bold letters with the little pizza pizza guy on the left hand corner, this Little Caesars is now under new management. My heart leapt in that moment. And friends, that is the good news that we celebrate when we celebrate the ascension of Jesus. That now, the crucified and risen, loving Lord of the universe sits in the boss's office. Now, our world 
is under new management. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for joining us at FPC. For more info and to connect with us, check out www.firstpresnpb.org.